They kicked the kids out into one room and it would be like Fight Club in, in my bedroom. And I had a bunk bed and on the top bunk is like where the spectators were. All the little cousins that were like, yeah, go, go. We kind of like divided the room. It was like red corner, blue corner and the bigger cousins pit the little cousins against each other and we fought for quarters. My daughter came in the bathroom and I heard the door open and I'm like here just like trying to like cover up my tears and she like lifts up my chin and she's wiping away my tears. She's like six years old and she's like, it's okay mom, you're strong. Once this heals, you'll be able to get back out there and keep going. When I was like crumbling, she was my rock. Michelle Watterson Gomez, let me just say all three of your names, actually okay. five, Karate Hottie. Thank you. Welcome to Masters of Craft. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Um, we are live here at VCon, so we're on the go. Masters of Craft on the go. It's like uh, you're putting a little to-go bag. Yeah. And you go, let's do it. I like it. I like, in the car. Yeah, it's good. Um, for starters, um, how when you walk into a room and somebody doesn't know who you are mm -hmm. and they go, what do you do? Mm -hmm. What What's your answer? I usually tell them I punch people in the face. No, I do. <laughs> you just punch them in the face. No. Oh, <laughs> just, That's what I do. Yeah. Like, let me show you. <laughs> it's easier to show you. No. I just say, I just tell them I'm a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. And uh, and by and by professional athlete, what did, what did we do? Just yeah, so uh, I fight professionally for an organization called the UFC Ultimate Fighting Championship. And Ooh. so as a professional athlete, I do MMA, mixed martial arts. Nice. Um, I'm gonna go deep quickly. All right, let's if go. If you don't mind, not at all. What was the very first thing you remember having to fight for? My voice. Yeah, for sure. I think that's why I um, became uh, obsessed I, with martial arts. That's why martial arts gave me um, the career that I have today, because I remember being a tween and um, not having a voice and feeling like I was lost in the world, which all tweens feel. You know, it's yeah. like you, you're kind of trying to figure out who you are, you know, where you belong. You're growing, you're developing and I was, uh, you know, a very submissive uh, person. I, I, I just, I wanted everybody to be happy. And so a lot of times I would turn the other cheek to make other people happy. A lot of times I would, you know, swallow my pride and, and the things that I wanted to do to make the, the rest of the people happy. And um, it got to the point where I, I started losing confidence in myself and... Mm. Um, really just kind of fell into like a, almost like a sadness. I wouldn't call it a depression, but right. just kind of like a sadness and a, a feeling of being alone. Uh, you're also a middle child. And I'm also wondering, like, do you think the vocabulary is a generational thing, right? We both have kids. And I think the term depression and certain other like mm. mental discomforts, I don't want to discredit anybody's <laughs> level of severity of experience. <laughs> But like, you know, our generation, it was just a different dialogue and acceptance and, you know, willingness to speak about it. Like, yeah. well, how do you find a difference between you and like your daughter and dealing with certain things? I mean, you know, it's kind of been kind of a theme that I've been talking about all weekend. But I feel like you're talking about language with the younger generation. And for me, it's. It's just an acceptance, and I'm not sure if it's just our generation or how I was raised or what I do for a living, but um, pain and struggle, adversity, challenge, all those things, being alone, those are all, to me, like stepping stones. Those are things that you have to pass through, and like when I say you have to, it's because that's what 
builds your character. That's what makes you stronger. So just avoiding them and saying you don't like confrontation or you don't want, you know, you, you don't want to get into this conversation because you don't want to escalate. But w- whatever, like it, it should be that way. Yeah. You need to have conversations that are tough. You need to put things in front of you that are hard. You need to feel pain in order to move on to the next level, in order to learn how to cope. And obviously you've done that to an extreme, you know, level, right? Yeah. Like you took that that experience and turned it into a massive, massive career. Um, and I don't think everybody is cut out for that, like at least in the physical sense. Mm-hmm. There might be other senses, but I think at least there's when you have like an aggressive physical outlet for whatever angst you're feeling, that's mm-hmm. one thing. But for those who are maybe a little bit more like entrepreneurial or they're going in a different career lane, but they may have grown up like... What sorts of interactions have you had with like fans or other people where they're going through something on their own, but they don't have the same outlet that you have? Um, that I would just say, because because I fight, the outlet is physical like exertion, right? Um, punching people in the in, but honestly, like that's not the satisfaction. Like the fight isn't the satisfaction. It, the, the satisfaction is the training is the enduring the pain. And, and so um, pushing yourself, uh, hitting a wall and pushing yourself past that wall. Um, and so <clears throat> you don't have to be a fighter in order to feel those things. You can be an entrepreneur and hit a wall. You know, you can plateau with your numbers. That's hitting a wall. Okay, now you've hit the wall. What do you do once you hit that wall? You got to push past that wall. That's how you build strength. That's how you, you know, well, I like to tell people it's like when you break a bone, it breaks, but then what happens to that bone? It calluses over. By the way, the whole table vibrated when she pushed her hand. So it's, this is real. It's like, oh, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, so it's like uh, I've broken my hand four times, but now it's at the point where it's strong enough to withstand pretty much anything. Mm. You know, So it's like just because something breaks, something goes wrong, you fail, doesn't mean that it's the end-all, be-all. It's, it's supposed to happen. It's supposed to break because you have to – you have to be able to um, to fix it and to allow that bone or whatever it is that broke to callous over and to become stronger. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, where does where does doubt pop up in your world, right? Because I think breaking a hand four times, you know, two is enough probably. Like one is like, ouch. <laughs> two is like, okay, come on. Again. Right. <laughs> it was, I was like, go. Because <laughs> that, that does become like God. Yeah. Why? Like, even though you, you processed it later in hindsight as something positive, mm-hmm. right? The callus, now I can do anything. But in the moment, it doesn't feel like, walk us through like getting through like the gritty part of the moment. You know, it's funny because my daughter was still very young and it was summer break for her. So she was out of school. I was training literally two, fight, two weeks away from my fight. I'd been out for a year and a half because I kept breaking my hand. And this is the last hard day of sparring. I felt pumped. I was ready. Weight was on point. I felt strong. And we were sparring, and I just heard a pop. And I felt this zing go all the way off my elbow, and I already knew what it was. And I threw off my gloves, and I looked down, and there's this huge bump in my hand. And I was just like, I felt this huge lump coming up my throat, and I want my daughter to see. So I walked, I ran out of the cage and I ran into the bathroom and I just started crying. And I was just like, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Like, I just felt so defeated and weak at that point. Like, I felt like hopeless, you know? Yeah. And um, my daughter c- came in the bathroom. I heard the door open and I'm like here just like trying to like cover up my tears. And she like lifts up my chin and she's like, wiping away my tears. She's like six years old. 
And she's like wiping away my tears and she's like, it's okay, mom. She was like, you're strong, you know. Once this heals, you'll be able to get back out there and keep going. And she's like six years old and I was just like, my, my baby girl is here to like, she's like my, she's like my rock in this moment. Like when I was like crumbling, she was my rock, you know? So um, it was just kind of like, it took it full circle. And it, it just made me realize like the things that are important will always be there. You know, all these other things like the break and the disappointment of not being able to do what I wanted to do. Those are just moments in time that will pass. Also, the interesting thing about that is the one person you tried to avoid was the one person who became like the voice of it's OK. Yeah. Um, you know, when you extend that into your coaching circles or your training circles, you know, how important is that to your craft? And like, what is the, yo, I'm in the zone time. Mm-hmm. And then the, okay, I need input and support and love and hugs or whatever it might be right. from the people around me. I think um, there's a lot of uh, hats to to put on as, as an MMA fighter. Um, you know, my husband's in my corner. And so we've really had to, to juggle those different hats that we wear because you know, at home, he's my husband, but when he's in my corner, he's my coach, and I have to listen to him differently. Um, and, and same with, with all my other coaches. And uh, growing up in a military family with um, a martial arts background, uh, it, was, uh, it was heavily instilled into me to have, like, that pecking order, to have respect um, to your elders and, and to listen to everything they say and to follow instructions. And so I tried to carry that with me into my fight career, and I realized that I was taking instruction from all of these different people and trying to mimic exactly what they were telling me to do. But it was, it was their style, their words, and I wasn't making it mine. And so I, at the end of the day, was the artist walking into the cage, creating my own piece of art on that canvas. And so I couldn't, I couldn't replicate what they were doing. I needed to take what they were telling me and break it down, take what I needed from whatever they're telling me and put it into my toolbox and make it something of my own. I love that. Like, I I think most of us, obviously myself included, you get so many inputs on a daily basis from so many people, many of them you respect, some of them you don't respect, but they said something that was wise. And like, there's, there's we are filtering through input all the time, no matter what level of expertise we've reached or, you know, there's tons of decisions to make and it just becomes taxing. Like, what is your, you know, gut versus intellect when you are like sitting through it? But that could just be on the, you know, Michelle as the CEO of the the Karate Hottie brand, you know, or like actually in the ring. I say try to create order as much as possible in your routine so that when it is chaos, you have free range. And, and what I mean by that is like, <clears throat> if you have order in your routine <clears throat> and structure in the things that you do, you, it becomes muscle memory. So that when, you know, it, when things, when shit hits a fan, when it's chaotic, you, your mind doesn't have to search for an answer. It's already going to be there. It becomes muscle memory. If, this, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it is at like, you know, your daily discipline. We were talking about meditating mm-hmm. earlier, like, 
just me getting into a space where I like, I drop my energy, like my angsty energy down and that becomes my baseline for the day. It may spike from there, but mm -hmm. it's better than spiking from here. Yeah. You know, um, and it's, I think the same thing applies whether you're in business or you're in a ring, like whatever your baseline is, you can fluctuate from there, but you always come down to like you for neutral zone. Yeah. Um, uh, tell us about fighting for quarters. Um, it's just kind of one of those things, you know, when you have big, I just remember family uh, gatherings, holidays, Christmas, you know, our parents were trying to enjoy the game and enjoy, you know, cook and stuff. And so they, they kicked the kids out into one room. And so we would, we, it would be like Fight Club in, in my bedroom. I, <laughs> I, had, I had a bunk bed and on the top bunk is like where the spectators were, like all the little cousins that were like, yeah, go, go. And. And then, um, so we kind of like divided the room. It was like red corner, blue corner, and the bigger cousins pit the little cousins against each other, and we fought for quarters. We. Uh, <laughs> How many quarters did you win? Do you who held the record? Oh, I was pretty aggressive. You know, I. Um, it's weird because I'm not an aggressive person in real life, but like when push comes to shove, when um, I, I'm a fighter. Yeah. For sure. Here's what, here's what, and I 100% agree after having known you for two days. Um, no, like, I, we, you know, because you, we were in a session together and we did not know that that was supposed to be the case. It was very last minute. And I was like, oh, who's this really nice person over here? And then you introduced yourself. And then there was one point where you gave me this glare into the ear there. You just did it. I'm wondering, like, turning the switch on and off. Cause you know, you find like a lot of actors, for instance, who are meth method actors yeah. and they get into a character and that's it. Like yeah. I'm in the zone and I'm focused and don't fuck with me. Um, or they're being that person. And then you got to go be mom. Yeah. It'll be healthy. Like it, but then you got to go be somebody's ass. Mm -hmm. So like, how do you turn that switch on and off? Like, what's that process? Like, I think it's just, um, having control of your mind. You're talking about meditation and, um, I think so many, so many of us have a disconnect with the mind and the body. And um, <clears throat> if you have control over your mind, then you can decide when to turn it on and when not to. And, and, and that's kind of the addiction, the beauty of, of what I do is if you've ever been an athlete, and I wouldn't even necessarily say. If I've ever been an athlete, come on, look at me. <laughs> I, did a, I did a sport once. <laughs> Well, then you know what I'm talking about when they, they call it like the zone or it's a Zen flow. Right. So when you like found that sweet spot, when everything slows down and it's kind of like the matrix where you see everything coming and you're one step, two steps, three heads, steps ahead of your opponent and everything just like falls into place. That's when your mind and your body are completely aligned. And when you're in that space, you're not thinking you're just doing you're just being right. But it's so hard to get to that yeah. space because there's so many other things that are happening the person across from you was trying to take your head off you know the lights are on the crowd is ch cheering take her head off you know um there are judges and your promoter is standing there telling you that you have to win and so all these things come into play so can you focus can you get in the zone in the moment is is the most um addicting thing that i've been searching for because i've hit it but it doesn't happen all the time. And so my journey is how do I, how can I hone that in? How can I find how to get in the zone every time? I find like that's, I'm, I'm, I find comfort in the fact that you experience that. Cause you know, I, I think I, I struggle with the same thing. It's just like, 
I have days where I'm on point. Mm-hmm. And I have other days where I'm like, yep, I, I, can't, I can't get a word out or I can't get my thoughts straight or I'm feeling sad about something I have no business feeling sad about and I need to perform and do something else. Um, you know, where, wh- what area of your life do you find the most difficult in terms of control? I think um, I would have to say um, my household. It's it's funny because I was just talking to Cesar Milan about this because I I have like such structure in my career and, and in being a mom. But like because I have you know I have businesses and and restaurants and things that I'm invested in and I and I put all my time into those things and so. When I come home, I just want to relax, and but my house is a mess because I have ten different projects going on all at once, you know. And like in my mind, it's organized clutter, you know. Because <laughs> like you know where it it's is. It's a hot mess, but I know no, I know where everything is in that hot mess, yeah. you know. Like don't touch it because because then I won't remember. Yeah, where you want to move this? No, oh, no, don't move it. No, yeah. don't move my hot mess, you know. <laughs> So if, if I'm just if I'm being completely honest, I would love to have a little bit more organization in my personal space. Yeah. A little bit more clarity. You need some Marie Kondo in your life. I do. I've read her book and she's yeah. really good. Uh, I met her once. Did you? Yeah. Uh, she told me I was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I almost did it in an offensive accent, but, you know, it's 2023 and you can't do it anymore. <laughs> so, I can do it. You can go ahead. Please just say You are a mess. Thank you. You are a mess. <laughs> Um, you can't answer yourself. <laughs> but, um, I, I, that leads me to an interesting territory, right? Being the CEO of you and managing a fighting career, managing a fan base like we had a really good conversation about yesterday, managing whatever the future of your existence is going to be, managing a 12-year-old. And like, I, as my therapist would tell me, there's a manager part of me that wants to take over and make sure everything's in neat and orderly, you know, uh, orderly chaos, I'll, I'll call it that. But like, what's it like being CEO of you? How do you, how do you manage your day to day and focus your attention on the business mm-hmm. and then on the family and then, you know, on your staff, like whatever it is that's in your world, like how is that organizational ability working? I feel like for me, I'm kind of old school in the sense that I'm like a pen to paper type person. And it kind of helps me just get all the senses together. If I, I have a journal and it's kind of like a journal slash planner, and literally it has everything. Um, so um, a year at a glance and then the, the monthly breakdown and then a weekly breakdown and then the daily breakdown. And that really kind of helps me. Um, it, and I kind of just do my, my planning week to week. And so this week, this is what I have. I jot down all the things that I have to do. Um, and, then, and then whatever space is left is what I, is what I wanna do. And that's mm-hmm. what I tell my daughter all the time because sometimes she stresses with her time management and I ask her, did you do the things you had to do first or the things you wanted to do first? Because now you're on a time crunch and this is something that is due tomorrow. So you had to do that, you know? So just trying to explain the difference to her. It's like that eat the frog metaphor where it's like you give them a plate of food and there's like an ugly frog on the the thing and like most of us eat the one would eat at up. last. All right, so you eat everything else, and then you're like, now you fucked up your whole meal because you're like, now you're gonna you've been dreading this thing. Mm-hmm. But if you eat that first, get it out of the way. It's very gross. But if, and then you can enjoy the rest of of the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like at that, one of the other things I was thinking about in terms of meals. This is a really cool segue. Uh, is preparation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't a preparation age joke, but then I, I couldn't get. 
I used to use Preparation H when I did bikini contests because it absorbs, it yeah, sucks the water out. Yeah, did you know that? You could put Preparation H under your eyes because it, it takes the puffiness away. Oh, that's not what I used it for. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, you don't want to go from the back to the eyes. <laughs> that guy's eyes smell. <laughs> That's how you get pink, guys. That's how you get pink. Oh, Brian. How did this happen? <laughs> no, like the idea of preparation, right? I think all of us, whether you're on, on, on an entrepreneurial journey or creative one, like there is uh, the act of preparation. Right. Um, you know, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Like what? what is your philosophy on preparation in general? Um to make it a lifestyle and uh, you know you were talking about your martial arts background but the the big thing about martial arts is a, lo a lot of martial artists they don't look at it as a sport or as a hobby they look at it as a way of life the person you are the character that you exude you know so if you are a, an entrepreneur it is not just something that you do as your career it is a way of life and so many people are envious of entrepreneurs because you know they own their own business this or that and they get to create their own hours the truth is as an entrepreneur um, it's not you don't have hours it's 24 7 and if you're okay with that and and you can manage your time that way and and that drives you and that fuels you then then you can be an entrepreneur yeah it's, and it, I think the interesting thing is it's about acceptance right I think most of us deny the circumstances look I can do this and that right. or you know, um, a friend of mine once said, it's not, there's no such thing as work-life balance, it's life. And I think if you can just kind of lump it all into one bucket, like I'm, you know, I have two kids and like I'm flying back early so I can make sure I get to my, I'm on a 6 a.m. flight and I'm pretty sure it's gonna be late night, but it's like, he's gonna be on a plate and he's yeah. gonna chip the beauty of the beast. And I'm like, all right, I'm like, how can I miss that? And as much as I want to stay and go see, you know, have some Indianapolis cocktail sauce from uh, the shrimp cocktail, mm -hmm. that's the thing. Um, it's like, there is no preparation. It's yeah. just like, oh, I almost forgot about it. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I don't know, just kind of like going with the flow. Um, and then I guess from there, like, what is flow? What does flow feel like for you? Like when you're in the zone? Just like, or I think in this area of acceptance, right? Where, you know, something goes, the flat tire happens or whatever, even though you're in, you know, on your way to yeah. a thing and other things are getting in the way. Mm -hmm. So flow for me is um, not overemphasizing the issue, right? The, the overcomplicating what it is that is stopping you on your flow. Um, and it's so, so how, how I explain it to people in, in a way that I've learned it through uh, fighting is positions. So, and hopefully you understand where I'm going with this, but in, in fighting, you would, you are taught like good positions and bad positions, dominant position, like offensive and defensive positions. But <clears throat> Coach Jackson, you know, he's, he's phenomenal with trying to make things into concepts. And, and he would tell us, Every position is just that. It's just a position. And so if you look at it as a bad position, it will be a bad position. Mm. But you can look at being on your back as a, as a bad position, because it is to some of the judges, but you can also look at it as an advantageous position where you can pop off submissions. You know, you can throw elbows from the bottom. You can finish a fight from the bottom. And, and, in, that, and in that instance, it becomes not 
a defensive position, but an offensive position. So anything that's coming to you in your life, instead of like, you, when you fight somebody and you hit the ground and you feel their body deflate, mm-hmm. it's like a shark smelling blood in the water. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so when you're in a position as an entrepreneur and and you, you hit the ground, something happens, somebody drops the ball, and you feel that energy deflate, it's like a shark smelling blood in the water. And so it's like, don't allow yourself to deflate. Just be like, okay, we're in this position. How do we bounce from this position? How do we attack from this position? And that's how you flow. That's how you ride the wave. Uh, yeah. I, the, <laughs> we, we just had this conversation earlier. Hi, Caleb. Um, <laughs> about something that w- was, something wasn't working out. We we're like, all right, well, let's see, let's see what the next fix is. Like, it, you know, if, it, if it's salvageable, great. If not, okay. Like, we, but it's always finding that path forward. I, I think from an innovation perspective, you know, which a lot of, which is a lot of a part of my career, it's finding a way to make the thing and finding a way to make the idea happen. Like your path that you go this way is going to be blocked off. Okay, cool. Let's try the side door. Oh, the side door is locked. Let's try the back door. Oh, you got a ladder. Let's go up in the window. Like mm-hmm. it, I, I refer to it as relentless optimism. Yeah. You know, and I think it's a, a, a requirement in any endeavor, not just some like innovation or like some high level fighting experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your foundational martial arts craft? What did you, what did you start off with? So I started in American freestyle karate. And that's how I got the name, the Karate Hottie. I mean, that's not how I got the name. I got the name later on in life when I was in college. Um, did I tell you the story? No, now you're about to. Here we go. Here we go. So as, as a college student, I, I, had a, I had to find a job that gave me flexible hours and that would pay me enough money to pay my bills in school. Um, so I worked at Hooters. I was a Hooters waitress. And as a Hooters waitress... Are you going to say get a time machine? <laughs> you see, you saw me, you saw my, my prayer was like, oh, ah. but the best I could come up with time machine. So, well, sorry, guys. <laughs> I was a Hooters waitress, which, I, you know, I never in a million th- years said I could be because I don't have any Hooters. But anyways, that's besides the point. Um, I, I did a lot of cool stuff. Owls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, uh, I did a lot of cool stuff. I, you know, I shot for the Hooters calendar the magazine we went on trips across the world um so i was i think it was like in the caribbean shooting uh the calendar and i met this guy named howie who owned a company called bikini.com and he basically featured uh women i, I met howie have you really <laughs> you, oh, years ago God. i heard that name and oh my gosh okay continue i'm small world and yeah yeah yes. very small <laughs> really funny okay so Bikini.com, he, he found out that I did martial arts and he's like, I'd love to feature you on my website. And then he was like, we could call you the Karate Hottie. It'd be really cool. We talk about your martial arts background and I'll pay you this much. I said, cool, let's do it. Whatever, we shot the thing. It was cool. You know, I didn't think anything of it. You know, six months down the road, I'm taking my first professional fight and the promoter's like, you have a fight name. And I said, no. So he goes, Michelle Watterson on the, on the web and bloop, Karate Hottie. And it's stuck. That's amazing. Yes, I mean, it's also like I, I don't know. Like I love that it was birthed and like you were just being you. That, yeah, like, that that's pretty awesome. Um, all right, so American freestyle karate. When did you know you were onto something? Because I think every kid has done some form of martial arts. So like you know, I was on my Michigan State karate team. Uh, Tung Sudo. It's my foundational stuff. Um, but like, when did you know you're like, oh, I'm actually good at this? Was that early days with the family? Was that like you started winning things? Like, where? What was that? Moment? Um, 
you know, I, as soon as I got into martial arts and I said, like, trying to find my voice, martial arts is what gave me that voice is because it gave me the confidence to kind of uh, um, walk in my own shoes and, and be okay with who I was. Um, and so, honestly, I think that's when I knew that martial arts was going to be a part of my life forever. Um, and, yeah, I was good. I was obsessed. I, and, you know, I, I, I was obsessed with being... Um, as perfect as I could be in my katas and stuff like that. And, and I love the art of martial arts. And, um, and I was really good with that. I didn't know that I was a fighter because I didn't, I, honestly, I didn't like, I didn't even want to compete sparring because I didn't want to get hit. But um, there was something in the back of my mind telling me like, you should probably, if you're doing martial arts, it is, you know, it is a combat sport or it, it's martial arts and you should probably be able to defend yourself. Yeah, it's not meant to just be pretty. Yeah, so, so it was always in the back of my mind. Would you be? Could you defend yourself if you if you really had to? You know, if you're if you were in a dark alley and somebody pushed you up again, you know, could you defend yourself? It was always in the back of my mind, you know, and and so I think that's kind of that was always in the back of my mind. But when I knew that I was a fighter, was in a, in a tournament, and it was I, you know I was still young at this point, but uh, I was always this. In point sparring, you don't go in weight classes. You go, you go according to your age and according to your belt level, right? And so, according to my age and my belt level, I fought gigantic Amazonian women, you know, because I like I, you know, I I I climbed up the ranks really fast, so I became a black belt really quickly. But I'm I'm small, like pretty petite, and so I remember um, point sparring this girl, and point sparring is supposed to be controlled. But she blasted me into the judges' table, and I went like tumbling back, and my nose was bleeding, and everybody was like, "Oh!" And I just remember looking down and like wiping the blood from my nose, and looking and being like, "Fire in my soul, in my heart." And I wasn't scared. I wasn't sad. I wasn't hurt. I was furious, and I wanted to get back in there. And, and get my vengeance, you know? And that's when I knew I was a fighter, you know? Because in that moment, I didn't wanna, I didn't wanna fly away. I didn't freeze. I wanted to fight. Yeah, yeah, uh, man. Well, where else does that fire show up? Cause I think, I don't know, we, there's a picture on your, on your Instagram of you delivering a pretty gruesome front kick to somebody. <laughs> and they're like, it looks like a Sparta, like listen Sparta kind of thing. <laughs> And I told you a story about how I got kicked like that once. And it was point fighting and it was like a long time to bow out. It was the end of the match because we were 2-2. Two, two. That was his third shot. And then I walked off like 30 seconds later. It's like, oh, like I kept it all in yeah. until I got out of the ring. Um, I don't think I had the same, I didn't have the same reaction you did. I'd like, I, it didn't like fire me up. I was like, I'm glad this is over. I'm, I'm, I'll be ready for the next one. Yeah. But I wasn't like, like it didn't turn me into Hulk mode. Um, but I think about like where that energy shows up, you know, in other areas of my life where I'm like, oh, that happened? Okay, watch. watch now, this. exactly. Mm -hmm. Like where else does that happen for you? Does it happen in like areas of doubt? And when people say, oh, you're the karate person, you don't know anything about restaurants. Like, you know, like where where else is that? I, I would say everywhere in life, you know, I definitely am filled by um, people that doubt. You know, I, I grew up with a very, like in the Asian culture, it, it's very judgmental, you know. And my mom was always like, oh, you got the A? How come you're not getting the A plus? 
you know, and it was always like, you know Pamela? She got a brand new car. Where's your brand new car? So it was always like comparing and it was just like, I always like, it was funny because me and my sister are completely opposite. For me, it was like, okay, I'm going to show her. I'm going to show my mom that I can, you know, you know, get the A plus, that I can do this. Cause it, but for my sister, my sister was like, well, if you think I'm a loser, then I'm just going to go get into trouble and, and show you that I'm a loser. You know? Shout out to your losers. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not that she's a Because my sister is like, if, if I tell you her story, she's like my inspiration. But not that she's a loser, but she, my mom tried to steer her away from, you know, uh, the baby kids, the bad kids. And she ended up hanging out with them anyways, you know. So, and it's because it was out of spite. Yeah. You know, so we're all different, you know. And so, but for me, like, that fuels me when somebody doubts me, when one somebody says, well, you can't do that or, you know, or mm, maybe you should try something. Maybe I should try something else. Why? You don't think I could do it? <laughs> All right. Now I'm doing it. Yeah. You know, so. Um, speaking of your mom, yes. she gave you the Buddha to protect the Buddha. Yeah. Um, tell me about this. Uh, um, she's my mom. You know, she since I started fighting has been th my biggest supporter and loves fighting she's my biggest fan and she she just always wants to protect me so this is something that i wear um, to all my fights and it is um basically the 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 guy that protects all the buddhas and and tra transports him so it's like the buddha's security guard right here so i gotta protect me too that's mm -hmm. so awesome um a couple more things before we wind that uh we had a little conversation about the pandemic mm -hmm. and what fighting during the pandemic was like. Um, and the idea of worth came up, right? mm -hmm. the feeling of worth. Tell us about what that was like and how it made you feel and how you got over it. Well, you know, COVID, I think, was a real shifty time for everybody. And it was kind of one of those um, times in all of our lives where we had to pivot and figure out a way to move. And I'm actually eternally grateful for the UFC because it, it, it was an organization that continued to push forward even through all the uncertainty. But there were a lot of things that we had to do through the uncertainty in order to even make it happen. So there were all these rules put into place because we had to socially distance, which was really hilarious because we would have to, in, in the back we could train and we're like, rolling around wrestling punching each other in the face but then when we go out to to fight my corner had to put masks on and it was just really funny to me because just the two couple of seconds ago we did not have masks that's another story but anyways um we we had to pack up all of our stuff uh right before we walked out to the to the um arena and when we're done fighting, we would come back and not even, you know, have the opportunity to shower or anything like that. Our bags are waiting for us to be shuttled back to the hotel. And uh, it just felt like kind of like very dismissive to like, OK, you know, you, you did your, you did your work and, and now we don't need you anymore. <laughs> I think. And that's all. And I could go. <laughs> um, so that's how I initially felt. But um how I've overcome that, I think, is that all of those things are out of my control. You know, all of those things that everybody does, everybody says, everybody thinks um, is outside of my control. What is inside of my control is how I react to it, how, um, I, how I let it affect me. And, and 
having a real understanding of my self-worth and the people that are in my corner forever and always, regardless of the outcome, um, regardless if I'm fighting or not, um, is, is what really kept me grounded. I love that. Um, the show is called Masters of Craft. But ironically, I think mastery is sort of an illusion. Like there is no matter. You just keep leveling up. Um, what is one thing in your life you're still trying to master? Everything. Life. It's, I, it is, right. But you're, you're right. It, it is. When, when you, I think that's the beauty of becoming a master of anything is when you, when you become a master, you, you realize that you're forever a student. You know, and um, that there's always more to learn. And especially with this ever-expanding technology and how fast technology is growing, it's even that much more necessary to continue to learn because um, the evolution of life is happening right under our feet. And especially in the, in the world of MMA, you know, MMA is still a very young sport, but it's evolving so fast. And these young cats coming in that are getting signed to the UFC, they don't have a specialty. Their specialty is MMA because they grew up watching people like me, you know, and, and they're, they're taking the mistakes that I've made and they're polishing up those mistakes and coming in, you know, with, with a blended array of, of tools to, to combat, you know, so you have to, you have to, you have to, you have to stay evolved. I avoid street fights at all costs. Like you just never know, like like you said, like these cats. You're like, I don't know what what that move is, and they're mm -hmm. making monkey noises. Um, <laughs> I'll screen it where I got it, uh, the details of where I got into the altercation. <laughs> um, as you like, you mentioned like sort of. That was <laughs> Did it scare you off when he started making monkey noises? I was like, hey, it's awesome. It's okay, man. You can have a parking spot. <laughs> like, I'll just I'll park over there. Um, no, like you, you talk about this future generation coming up. And then also, like, there's a lot of words to be said about athletes who post career don't know what's next or haven't prepared for what's next or to prepare to not be in the ring. Yeah. Like, what foundations have you laid for the next iteration of yeah. uh, Michelle? You know, it's a real thing. It's just like when um, a veteran uh, comes out of being in the military, it, it is their entire life. What, what they do as an athlete, as a professional athlete, an NFL, baseball, whatever, you know, you've been trained to do this one singular craft since they were probably like, you know, toddlers. And, and then, and then you get chewed up and spit out into the real world. And, and now your singular craft that you're a master at has nothing, has no bearing in, in the real world. Or at least that's what we all think. But it does. Like, there's so much that you learn through sports as a professional athlete. And there's so much that I've learned as a fighter that I can um, apply to being a businesswoman, to being an entrepreneur, to being an actress, to, to, to speaking. And, but you just have to know how to apply it and, and just kind of look at the perspective like, okay, in a fight, I would do this. So how would I attack this business the way I would attack my fight, you know? And so whatever it is that you're doing, understanding the shift, but also like planting the seeds, I think is very important. Like I'm still fighting. I'm still, I would say in my prime, you know, luckily that I'm still young, I'm still healthy and, and still have the opportunity to fight. But along the way, like as I'm focused in my fight career, I'm planting seeds 
you know, I'm planting seeds and I'm making sure as I'm crossing this path that I'm watering it along the way. I might not be watering it as much as I'm watering my fight career, but it's still getting water, you know. So hopefully by the time my fight career is over, those, those seeds have sprouted and then I can start working on those. Well, Michelle, you've come a long way since Hooters. <laughs> and all the way to Masters of Craft. Then all, everything led up to this moment. So I thank you for being here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Bam. I don't want to break your hand again. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, thank you for tuning in to another installment of Masters of Craft. Hi, Caleb. Hi. Okay. <laughs> He's also a martial artist, too. Yes, I know. This is great. He's almost better than me. Um, no, thank you. And uh, where do people follow you? Where, what, what, how do we get you on socials? And how can we support the the best the the I am most active on my Instagram, which is Karate Hottie MMA. I'm really trying hard to build on my TikTok. Same thing across the board: Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. Look up Karate Hottie, and you'll find me. 